Therefore, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Several of you are joining me in those verses because last Sunday we focused on those two encouraging verses in the New Testament book of Colossians. And last Sunday we began a new series that I've entitled The Walk. As believers and followers of Jesus, I want us to discover how to live a life actively in relationship with him, experiencing his help, walking, as Paul characterizes it, walking in Jesus. So, beginning last week, moving actually through the month of March, we'll spend quality time reflecting on what Paul writes to the church of Colossae, to a group of people just like you and me, trying to encourage them in the faith. We started last week, though, in chapter 2, because in my mind, verses 6 and 7 of chapter 2 are, in a way, the heartbeat of the whole letter. It really gives us insight to everything that's before and points us to everything that follows. And so, let me take you back to those verses as I shared them with you a moment ago. They're on the screens to my right and left, and let's remind ourselves from where we've come. Therefore, Paul writes, as you have received Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul's presumption is that he's writing to people who've trusted in Jesus. See, you receive Jesus by believing in who he is and what he promises. You receive the difference that he makes. And Paul writes, therefore, as you've received him by faith, do something with that. Walk in Jesus. Walk in the reality of who he is. Being, as Paul clarifies, rooted in him. See, we're day by day drawing life from him. We're being built up in him. And all of that together works to establish us, as he describes it, in the faith, as you were taught. See, this is something that we learn and grow to understand And as we understand it more and more, what flows out of that? Abounding, Paul throws in. Abounding in thanksgiving. Now my hope for us as we move through this series is that we live this out. We understand these verses. We come to experience everything Paul's trying to emphasize. That in a beautiful way, we walk in Jesus. Now, last week, as we started the series, I proposed an action plan, and it was highlighted in in last week's connection. And if you picked up one this morning, there's an action plan for the week ahead. I want us to do something with what we're reading, hearing, learning. We need to be active in what we do. And so, I'm proposing some simple steps yet again that we might employ as we move into the week ahead. The first step is identical to last week. I urge you, I encourage you, please begin each day this week by reading a chapter of the book of Colossians. Read from God's word and allow what you read to have the opportunity to influence you. Now let me stress, as we 
approach these readings, it's not so that you can check a box in your mind and say, well, I've done my Bible reading. We approach these times, these readings, so that we renew faith. We want to walk in Jesus. And so my encouragement is as you read, why don't you ask God in that reading to impress something on your heart that you need to see? Ask him to highlight a lesson in your mind that might move you to respond maybe more personally to him in faith or to re react to the world around you in a way that he would lead. But ask him to help in that. We're not seeking simply to kind of exercise the mind. We want to uh, allow the heart to be affected. So ask God to impress a lesson. But as he highlights something for you, immediately ask him for the help to live that out. One of the great regrets I have sometimes of, of young Christians is they think as they read the Bible now, they're supposed to chase after that, and they don't realize that what God wants to do through Jesus is enable them to live that. And so ask for his help. Engage him to help you do the very thing that, that you've begun to read. Now, a couple other comments before we move on to the second uh, plan of action. As you read Colossians this week, think lamp. See, David in Psalm 119 says of God's word that it's a lamp unto his feet, it's a light unto his path. He appreciates that God's given us this revelation, both in the Old and New Testament, to illuminate for our benefit what we need to see. So as you read Colossians this week, think lamp. God wants to help you see something. Maybe it's the path in front of you. Maybe it's a perspective that you need to reflect. But you're reading, not just to be informed, but so that you can gain a spiritual perception. Think lamp. Also, if I may, think mirror. Now, I have this picture. This guy is going to work. He looks excited. He looks blessed. Well, I want you, as you're reading Colossians, to think of the reading as a mirror. See, I'm not only seeing the path in front of me, I'm not only gaining perspective, but the book of James says that God's perfect law it can almost serve to our benefit as a mirror so that we can see ourselves clearly. And as we see ourselves in the light of God's word, we can then be able to respond appropriately. Now, as you think about mirror, I'm curious, have any of you been involved in a photo bomb from time to time? I like to do it. I have one of my daughter and I, she, she didn't know I was going to be in the picture. I wanted to be in the picture. And uh, there I am. Well, when we think mirror and you're seeing yourself in God's word, think mirror bomb. Jesus wants you to see him in the mirror with you. Now, he wants that really for two reasons. He wants you to understand ultimately who you're wanting to reflect. Um, when God's word points us in a particular direction, it's really pointing us to be a reflection of who Jesus is. But still further, if you envision Jesus with you in the mirror, don't imagine him with a face that's stern and angry and demanding. No, imagine him with a smile on his face. He's pleased to be in the mirror with you. But imagine him also with his hand on your shoulder because he wants to enable you to be the person down deep in our hearts we would want to be. And so tomorrow when you read in Colossians, think lamp, I'm going to see things, think mirror, I'm going to recognize even something about myself, but 
Most significantly, I'm going to recognize that Jesus is with me. What did Paul say to the Colossians? As you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk not for him, walk in him. Rooted and built up in him. See, he's there with his hand on your shoulder to bring you forward. He wants to enable you to live the life that God's word's trying to point us to. Which, by the way, is a life that brings about a fullness of heart. God's not trying to diminish your life. He wants to bless your life. So, walk in Jesus. So, the first of our action plans is to begin each day by reading out of Colossians a chapter a day. As I said last week, let me once again say, once you finish the reading, start over again. Those of you that started with us last Monday, we're already toward the end of reading through Colossians the second time. Tomorrow will be chapter 4. And then we'll start over again on Tuesday. Well, if you weren't with us, then tomorrow just start with chapter 1. Or if you missed a day or two, always just move to the next chapter that's in front of you. The commitment of heart is, God, I want to read daily from your word. I'm going to allow the book of Colossians for the month of January to help me to see what I need to see. Now, that's the first action in terms of the plan. What's the second? Well, I've changed it slightly from last week. Last week, I encouraged you to identify three things for which you're thankful and then to give thanks to God. Well, for this week, let me alter it slightly. I want you to begin each day this week by marveling over God's work of salvation. As I marvel at it, it will move me toward thanksgiving, or should, and then I can think of two other things for which I'm thankful and I can throw those in. But let me try to underscore with us just how important this is. As I'm seeking to walk in Jesus, it will help me to pause and reflect on just how richly my life has been blessed because of God's work to save me. Now today, for the remainder of our time, I want us to, to look at that more closely so that maybe this week we'll even be more thankful. If you have your Bible, we're going to go back to Colossians chapter 1. Some of you have read it twice already. Listen to how Paul begins this letter. The book of Colossians is a letter. He's writing to a gathering of believers in the city of Colossae. Listen to what he writes to them, and let's see if it can help us marvel over God's work of salvation. Start with verse 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at Colossae, grace to you and peace from God our Father. We, Paul says, always thank God. Notice the emphasis of thanksgiving on Paul's part. We always thank God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ when we pray for you. Since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints. Now before we go on to verse 5, Notice again the emphasis. He says, I'm always praying for you and I'm always thanking God for you. Ever since I heard of the faith that you have 
in Christ Jesus. They came to experience life because they responded to Jesus by faith. You can come to experience life as you respond to Jesus by faith. Paul says, I was aware of your faith. We begin to pray for you. And even your faith is seen in your love. He notes in how it's expressed, verse 5, he goes on, because also of the hope, which incidentally results from their faith, the hope laid up for you in heaven. Of this, Paul explains, you have heard before in the word of the truth, the gospel. We touched on those phrases last week, which, he adds, has come to you, as indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit and increasing. See, there's something powerful in the, the good news of Jesus Christ. Also, he adds, it, it does among you since the day you heard it and understood the grace of God in truth. Just as you learned it from Epaphras, our beloved fellow servant, he is a faithful minister of Christ on your behalf and has made known to us your love in the Spirit. Now, last Sunday, I highlighted three phrases in the verses we've just read. Two of the phrases are in verse 4, the word of the truth. Then he throws in the gospel. And then later in verse 6, he describes things as the grace of God in truth. What we should appreciate as we look at these phrases is they're all pointing to the same truth. These aren't three different things that the Colossians came to understand. You see, uh, the word of the truth, the gospel, the grace of God in truth are all referring to the same message. And here's the thing, just to keep it simple for us, that message is centered in Jesus Christ. See, the gospel of Jesus, as we noted last Sunday, is centered in him. Jesus lived a life without sin so that by his death, he could assume our guilt. He, in, in, as the Bible would teach it, he actually became the substitute for our judgment. And yet the Bible also highlights that he then conquered death. He is raised from the dead to demonstrate that everything that was said about him is true. He is God incarnate. And not only does his resurrection point to his identity, it reassures us in terms of what Jesus can effectively do. He made promises to us concerning who he is. And his resurrection demonstrates the truth of those promises. Indeed, the Bible further adds that Jesus then ascends on high in essence to assure us that everything that he promised is true. Now, again, this is all centered in Jesus Christ. And if you have trusted in Jesus, believed in Jesus, asked Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, then Jesus would assure you that he's, he will keep his word. That's the power of the gospel. He did all that he did to affect who we are and who we will ultimately be. Now, in 
chapter 1 of Colossians, Paul builds on this thought to try to help us to realize that the gospel really is intended to affect our lives. Let me jump to verses 13 and 14. Now, next week, we'll go to verses 9 through 12. But for today, let me jump to verses 13 and 14 as we talk about Jesus and the gospel, the difference Jesus would seek to make. Listen to what Paul says about Jesus' activity on our behalf, God's work through his son. Verse 13 reads, he, referring to God, speaking to those who trusted in Jesus, has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Now, those of you that have been participating in our readings, you read these verses twice over the last week, at least I hope you did. When you came to verses in 13 and 14, did you marvel at what was described there? See, I suspect if you understood what was described there, you would marvel. Well, what is Paul saying? Well, once again, he's emphasizing the difference Jesus makes when a person receives him. Let's walk through the phrases one a phrase at a time. First of all, notice God has delivered us. And if you trusted in him, I can personalize it for you. He has delivered you from the domain of darkness. Now, this is a metaphorical language, but it's probably a language we understand. He's reminding us, as the Bible teaches, that because of sin, mankind finds itself in darkness, spiritually speaking. And we're not alone in the darkness. There's even what's referred to as the prince of darkness, the devil, who seeks to add to the confusion and the brokenness. And, and because of our sin, we actually find ourselves captive to this dark kingdom. That's what the Bible says is true. And if we're honest and we look at our lives, we just know how broken and dysfunctional this darkened world is. I mean, just pick up the paper, read the news, turn on the news. Uh, we live in a darkened world. But you know what? Jesus did everything that he did to affect that in you. According to Paul, God, through Jesus' work, has actually delivered you from the domination of that darkness. I know we're still living in a world influenced by the darkness, but what Paul explains to us is something dramatic has changed. Where once you were captive in the darkness, now you've been set free from it. Jesus Christ came so that he could move you, deliver you out of that domination. Now, the word deliver is a very descriptive uh, term in the language of the New Testament. It actually has this visual picture of seeing someone in a dangerous moment and suddenly being pulled out of that dangerous environment. But what's even more about the term, it's not just pulled out to kind of be thrown into the next dangerous moment. No, the way the word is emphasized is that you are delivered to the one who saves you. It's like a father coming to the rescue of a child that is now at risk. He rescues the child so that he can enjoy 
the presence of the child. Well, that's what God did for you through Jesus. Jesus was willing to go to the cross and conquer death, not just so that we would have a story to tell, but so that he could deliver you, deliver me, deliver us from the domination of a world that is so afflicted by the darkness that surrounds us. That's what God did for you. Now, as we're still talking about coming out of the darkness, there's a verse that precedes this that I didn't read, but let me read it for you now. It's verse 12. Giving thanks, Paul writes, writes, to the Father who has qualified you, notice, to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. See, in delivering you from the darkness, he qualifies you to actually share in the inheritance of those in light. It's one thing to be delivered from the darkness. It's something else to be blessed in the condition that emerges. And the term qualified means this is something God did for you. It's not something that you achieved on your own. God qualified you now to receive a portion of this inheritance of, the, of the, those in the kingdom of light. And he was able to do that because he delivered you from the kingdom of darkness. That's what God did. And when you trusted in Jesus, that's what happened to you. It seems like I was still surrounded a whole lot by the dark. I agree with you. We come to fully appreciate all that Jesus is moving us toward the longer that we live. But the reality changed instantaneously. You were set free from darkness domination. And day by day, as we learn to walk in Jesus, we come to live in the reality of the kingdom of light. Well, Look at the second phrase back in verse 13. I've been delivered from darkness, but he delivered me from the domination of darkness to experience something better. Verse 13, God has transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. So I was there because of God's work. I now I'm here. I'm a part of a kingdom, but it's just not the kingdom of darkness. I'm now a member of the kingdom of, of God's beloved son. Or phrased differently, I'm part of the kingdom of the son that God loves, which implies I'm now in an environment where I can experience more fully the love of God because I'm in the kingdom of his son. See how that works? Once more, it happened immediately as soon as you believed. Now, it takes time sometimes for our mind and heart to catch up with what has happened around us. But Paul wants us to appreciate that's what happened. God delivered you from the darkness that was and now has transferred you, placed you in the kingdom of his beloved son. It happened instantaneous. Do we have any Star Trek fans in the gathering today? I was a Star Trek fan. Let's use some language from Star Trek. He beamed you from this to that. It was immediate. Now, it may take a little time for our mind to catch up with the change. But it doesn't alter what happened. God did that. So, well, I don't think I deserve that. I, why did he do that? Well, Paul wasn't done, was he? What else did he add in verse 13 or verse 14? He said, 
In Jesus, we have redemption. Now, that's pivotal. Unfortunately, I'm not sure that we can fully grasp the power of that word. But see, that's a word that's rooted in that tragic practice of slavery. It's not something that any of us here has experienced directly in our culture today, but in Paul's day, slavery, again, tragically, was still very active. The idea of redemption is that someone has purchased the slave, that someone has paid the necessary price so that the one who was once captive is now free. See, all of this flows together. How did he deliver you from the darkness? Well, a price was paid for you. In Jesus, you were redeemed. Jesus' death paid the necessary price so that you could be set free from the domination of this darkened world so that you could discover the kingdom of his, of his beloved son. Jesus did all of that so that that could be achieved. And in Jesus, that's what happened to you. You were redeemed by him, by his death. And Paul wasn't done with that. Because again, as I think about my own experience... How could he have redeemed me? Well, he throws in that additional phrase, in Jesus we have the forgiveness of sins. Maybe we want to argue with God about whether or not I deserve to be delivered from that past. Well, Paul says you need to remember that in Jesus the price was paid, and in Jesus forgiveness was given. It, it was bestowed. The verb in reference to redemption and forgiveness is a present tense verb. That's implying that it's something that you already now have, and by the way, will continue to have. It, it doesn't have an expiration date to it. Because of your faith in Jesus, you are always redeemed, and praise the Lord, you are always forgiven. Always. That's what Jesus effectively accomplished when he did what he did. Now, when I look at all of that, all of that points me to one biblical term, and we've touched on it. It's, it's the word grace. See, the word grace in the New Testament is emphasizing either God's activity on our behalf or God's provision on our behalf. And if you understand the term, it's a provision and activity that you don't deserve. It's just something that God does because he loves us. It's grace that delivered you from darkness. It's grace that transferred you to the kingdom of his beloved son. It's grace that redeemed you and forgave you. It's grace. And just to drive the lesson home, it's God's work on your behalf. It really is all about God in that sense. He didn't look at you and think, ah, oh, this person deserves all of this. No. As Paul wrote to the church at Rome, he says, you know, we were really enemies to God. Yet in his grace, he acted to rescue us, to reconcile us, to restore us. It's God's word. And let me stress, 
It's a completed work. You have been delivered. You have been transferred. You have been redeemed. You have been forgiven. There's nothing now on this second Sunday of the year that you can do to undo the effects of that. He did that. It's, It's God's work for you. And I think sometimes people wrestle with that notion. I mean, certainly there's a string attached, right? I've got to do this, 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 this in order to make sure that that is still operational. No. If you receive Jesus, then you received his work. And it's his work. So if by faith I simply gladly embraced what Jesus did, then it's settled from God's perspective. Now, if we want to play games with it, go ahead and disturb your heart unnecessarily. From God's point of view, it's settled. It's done. So that just sounds as if it's, as if it's just too good to be true. When Debbie and I were on sabbatical, we went to the Billy Graham Conference Center, The Cove, and R.T. Kendall was the speaker, and he was teaching on Colossians. And R.T. Kendall made a statement that I share with you now. He writes, if the gospel you hear does not seem too good to be true, you probably have not heard it yet. (laughs) See, there should be a sense in which we marvel over what God has done. If we project ourselves into this process of salvation, I think it diminishes how much we marvel. But if we know ultimately it's based upon what God chose to do through his son Jesus Christ to deliver us, transfer us, redeem us, and forgive us, if we know that it's the work of God, then we're left with nothing other than to marvel. It should sound too good to be true because you didn't deserve it. But here's the catch. It's true. It's absolutely true. Let me pull the verses back together again, let you hear it as Paul writes it. Verse 12, giving thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption, the forgiveness of sin. So I come back to the second part of our action plan. Tomorrow, I want you to begin the day by marveling over God's work of salvation on your behalf. And if your mind is a little kind of sleepy and you need a prompter, go back to verses 12 through 14 and remind yourself of what God chose to do to save you. And if you receive Jesus by faith, it's done. Marvel. And I should say, and give thanks But don't let it stop there. Why don't you then identify at least two other things for which you're thankful 
and express that to God. Let's nurture within our minds, within our heart, the mindset of gratitude. Let's appreciate it. doesn't matter what the circumstances are around us. We have been delivered, <laughs> transferred, redeemed, and forgiven. I think I have a reason to be thankful every day of my life, even in the worst of my circumstances. But if we will open our eyes of faith, I suspect we'll be able to see not simply three reasons that we should be thankful. We should easily begin to rattle off a dozen. If we just stop long enough and reflect. Now the final part of the action plan, and I close with this, and it's the least popular, but I'm going to call you to it all the same. Some of you memorized Colossians 2.6 last week. Therefore, as you've received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Well, let's just add verse 7 to that, because as I said, I think if you really want to understand the book of Colossians, understand these two verses. So why don't you memorize, built, or excuse me, rooted and built up in him, established in the faith as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. Don't talk yourself out of doing something that would be a blessing to you if you would internalize it and then begin to live with it. Next Sunday, we'll come back and we'll look at verses 9 through 12 more closely just so that we can appreciate how each and every one of you, how each of us can walk in Jesus. Let me pray for us. Father, I'm grateful for the testimony that we've considered today. I'm blessed to know that salvation is your work on our behalf. It's not something we help you with. It's something by faith we receive as a gift, even as we receive Jesus as our Savior and Lord. Now, Father, if there's somebody here today who's yet to respond to Jesus in that most extraordinary way, Stir within their minds and in their hearts a faith that would say, today is the day that I can be delivered. But Father, for the greater number that have already experienced what we know to be the gift of salvation, may you help us to appreciate more fully the, the intended impact. May we celebrate the good news of knowing we're no longer a part of that dominating darkness, we've been ushered into a reality that can change our lives for the better if we'll continue to live and to walk in faith. So Father, wherever our spiritual condition may be this morning, bring us to where you want us to be as we respond in faith. We ask in Jesus' name.